can see Emma looking there. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Well, this morning and next week, we are going to be exploring servanthood. Servanthood today, I'll be just laying a bit of a foundation. And then next week, we'll be looking at how servanthood applies in our lives and especially in our lives here at Welcome. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Philippians 2. It will also be up on the, uh, the screen as well, just in case you haven't got your Bibles with you. So Philippians 2, and we shall be reading from verse 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's such a privilege to be able, be able to open your word. Lord, this morning I pray that you give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when you think about this word serving, what comes to mind? What sort of picture do you get when you think of that word serving? Do you maybe get a picture for those maybe who remember it of, uh, are you being served? Arkwright in the shop. Yeah, that might be what comes to mind. It could be you're out in town yesterday and someone who served you in Whitney springs to mind. Does that word serving maybe bring to mind a waiter or, or, or a waitress in a restaurant? Maybe Manuel from Fawlty Towers, for those who ever watched that. Maybe, again, you had a meal out in Whitney this weekend, and whoever it was that came and served you at the table. What about those who serve lords and ladies? Mr. Carson. What's Mr. Carson from, or who is Mr. Carson from? Downton Abbey. And for you younger ones out there, let's see if you get this one. Cogman. Who knows? I know Sky knows. Look. Cogman. In which film would you find Cogman, the servant? Who wants to shout it out? <laughs> for those who don't know, it's from Transformers. All right? He's a robot butler. Okay? So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's who Cogman is. You see, serve and serving are words that we recognize, 
and words that in society typically are associated with someone or an individual who is serving another's needs. And servanthood is the condition or the banner, if you will, from which serving of another flows from. Now, irrespective of the industry or the environment or the situation, you will typically find that serving people doesn't always come easy to us. Is that not true? If we're being honest with ourselves, serving other people doesn't come natural. Many people work in the customer service industry, some because they enjoy it, but many because they need to, to pay the bills. You are taught that the customer is always right. You are taught to stand and smile and to be polite, but that doesn't mean that they enjoy their job. If you are standing in front of someone who is smiling and opening the door for you, and, uh, and being as polite as, you, as they can be to you doesn't mean they enjoy their job. doesn't mean that their job is easy. Why? Well, the truth is people are not easy. For those of you who have worked in any number of environments where people are present, you know that it's not easy. Why? Because people are not easy. For those of you who volunteer in a church setting, not just this one, but any church, or have led or been a leader in a church setting, you know that serving isn't easy. Why? Because even Christians are not always easy. There's a shocker, but it's true. So why do we find serving in any capacity challenging? Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the believers in Philippi. And the main premise of the letter is encouragement. It's encouragement. And in our passage today, taken from this letter, Paul writes these words, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, or in other words, pride. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or from pride. It sounds very easy, doesn't it? Just to follow the words that Paul speaks here, but nothing could be further from the truth. You see, within the human heart lurks a resistance to servanthood, an undercurrent within humankind, if you will. And it's, very, it's the very thing that Paul is encouraging the Philippians and subsequently us here this morning to avoid selfish ambition and pride. We live in a me culture, don't we? A me culture and I want, I deserve, I should have culture, often feeling that we 
are hard done by. This heart condition is further strained by the hierarchical system that we have in society today, and it's all around us in our workplaces. You have the worker on the shop floor, you're the supervisor, the manager, the CIO. In the school system, you have the student, the teacher, the head of year, the, the, the head of the school. Within the government, you have us, the people, the local MPs and the government. It's no wonder that people find it too easy to strive for higher positions in life in this sort of system. Too often driven by the desire for power and authority a lot of the time. It's why we see power struggles within different positions within our society, and it's all around us. How many times have you said to yourself, or sorry, how many times have you found yourself saying, or you've heard someone else say, who do they think they are to tell me what to do? Come on, be honest with yourselves. Who do they think they are to tell me? Or... Another classic one, and I, I hold my hands up, I definitely have said this over the past. Oh, I could do that better than them. I'm sure at some point we have all thought that, or we have all said that in our own heads or hearts, or even verbally with our mouths. Humans live to compete and succeed. It's one of the stains of humanity's fall. Many want to be the boss. We desire to boast of our achievements and to have our certificates hanging on our walls. We are forever told to aim for personal ambition. Take pride in yourselves. Aim for the stars. You just think about yourself. It's all about you. Now, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Please don't misunderstand me. And there's nothing wrong with taking pride in what you're doing. But when that becomes a narrow-minded pursuit of, well, what's in it for me? It can very quickly become selfishness. And selfishness can result in not, al not always caring about who is in our way or who suffers in our pursuit of selfish ambition and pride. But it also results in us sitting back and quite often just allowing others to do and get on with the things that we don't want to do, even if we know they need doing. When Paul wrote these words, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, he would have understood the tainted condition of the human heart as we do. It was the same then as it is now. But he doesn't leave it there. How you going with those, uh, those pictures, guys? Here, I want to hold them up so everyone can see. Come on, who wants to hold it up? Yeah, look, amazing, amazing. Well, they're obviously totally engrossed, you know, in what they're doing there. Wonderful, wonderful. So after Paul has said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, he then goes on in our passage and says this, but in humility, 
count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Time and time again through the scriptures, we see this call to humble ourselves and serve God's greater plan. And that is done by placing others before ourselves. An example is when on entering a house, Jesus asked his disciples what they were arguing about on their journey to Capernaum. They stayed quiet when Jesus asked this. I'm sure some of you may know this story because they had been arguing about what? Who is the greatest among them? Who is the greatest among them? That sounds a lot like pride and selfish ambition to me. Does it not you? But Jesus, Jesus knows everyone's hearts. Jesus didn't need them to tell him what they were arguing about. He already knew and he spoke this to them. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now, being humble and willing servants to others doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you need to become a pushover. It doesn't mean that you need to become people pleasers on every single request that you are ever asked. The Lord Jesus himself came as a servant of God the Father to humanity, but he showed throughout scriptures that he wasn't just a pushover. He was a servant, but he wasn't a pushover. Jesus spoke the truth when he was unpopular. He says this in John 18, Pilate said to him, so you are the king. Jesus answered, you say that I am the king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So though he came as a servant, he spoke the truth even when unpopular. He rebuked the self-righteous. Matthew 23, we won't go there because it's quite a big chunk, but I encourage you to read it. The seven woes. Jesus' seven woes to the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Jesus came as a servant, but he proclaimed grave warning to those who didn't repent and believe. In John we read, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus came as the ultimate servant, but he even rebuked his own disciples. He turned to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said to Peter, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. As believers and followers of Jesus, we are called to live our lives and approach life differently 
to that that is in society around us. Just like Jesus' disciples, just like the church in Philippi, and just like every other person who calls upon the name of Jesus as Lord and Saviour and as King of their lives. We are, with a humble heart, called to count others more important than ourselves. That's difficult, isn't it? Let's be very honest about it. I find that difficult. So we all must find that difficult on different levels. The complaining neighbours that we have. The irritating boss, the irritating spouse. Oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> not, of course not you, Tish. The irritating siblings. Yeah, I'm sure we're all out, you know, siblings irritate us one way or the other. It really isn't easy. It really isn't easy. So how do we do this? How do we humble ourselves? How do we learn to see all those around us more significant than ourselves? And how do we learn to unselfishly serve those around us, those here in this room that we're sitting next to? We do this by learning to see through people's failings, to see through their sin, to see through their attitudes, to see what God sees. His creation, his image bearers. How else will compassion flow if we don't look beyond these things to see what God sees as, as close as we can see what God sees. Compassion is a fundamental aspect of our pursuit in sharing the gospel. We must see the compassion that Jesus saw on people because that drives us to show compassion and love. But to do this ourselves is not easy because our tainted, selfish hearts, but we don't have to do it alone. Praise God. We just need to be willing to be led by the Holy Spirit and by God's words. And we have to be willing to follow the example of Jesus. One of the most beautiful examples of humble servanthood was conducted by Jesus himself. For many, this is a very touching and famous story. During Jesus' last supper meal with his disciples, the night before he was crucified and the very meal that Jesus instituted communion at, he arose from the table. He took off his garment. He grabbed a towel. He wrapped it around his waist. He poured water into a bowl. 
he stooped down to his disciples and he began to wash their feet. Now, for us over here in the West, I mean, that's, you know, if you like, you, you either like feet or you don't like feet. I mean, let's, let's be very honest about it. But over there, they wore sandals. The roads were dusty and dirty. It was a job that was, only, it was given to the lowest servants in the house when guests arrived. It was never, ever to be done by the honoured guest, the honoured person in the room, in this case, Jesus. But he stooped down and he washed their feet. Jesus, the Son of God, the Saviour and Lord of mankind, lowered himself and showed what it was to serve others by taking the position of a servant. And he said these words to them. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. One of the most powerful ways for the world to understand what true servanthood is, is when Jesus' bride, that's you and me, in this room together, we serve each other. It's the point of what Jesus is teaching here. Don't count yourselves higher than anyone here. Strive to always be lower. Strive to always serve. To be the servant. Imagine how powerful that is to, to the world outside. Looking in, seeing Jesus' bride. Just living as, as continuous servants of one another. What a powerful thing that is. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be different. We are called to be different. We are called to be humble in the world. We are called to place others before ourselves in the world. And as believers, we are called to follow the example of Jesus and serve each other. Serve each other. In our passage today, Paul reminds the Philippians as to the reason for his calling them to live a humble life of service to God and to God's people. And it's the same reminder that we have today. Let's read what he says again. And really just, I really want you to get this into your head and your heart. Close your eyes if you have to. But listen to Paul's words. 
because there is, I mean, uh, endless truth in this passage. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This morning, I would like to close our service by remembering that greatest act of servanthood that we have ever seen. And as we do, we shall share together in communion. Jesus willingly showed us the ultimate act of service to God the Father and to humankind by going to the cross. Jesus, who surrendered himself as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus, who was beaten for our sake, who paid our ransom, who paid for our sins, past, present, and future, and who paved a way for us to return to the Father. On the same night that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, Jesus took bread, bread similar to what we have here. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, you may like to prepare your, uh, I don't even know what we call these, the capsules, I, I don't know. For those who have never done this before, pull the top layer and you can access the bread. And then there's another tab that you can pull to access the wine. So the top for the bread and then the... Uh, I'll just give a minute for everyone to... Uh, I'll wait for the... Uh, the silver foiling to stop rustling, then I'll, I'll know that most people are there. Church, let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, as we prepare to take part in communion, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts. Show us anything, Lord, that is not pleasing to you. As we pause, reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness maybe that may be hindering our relationship with you. Lord, each time we take communion, we can recommit our lives, our hearts, our thoughts, and our everything to you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who receive you. Thank you, Jesus, for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life now and eternal life forever. As you instructed your disciples, we too receive and eat this bread, Lord, in remembrance of you. But Lord, in the same way as, you prepare, as we prepare to take the cup representing your blood poured out from a splintered cross, we realize that you were the supreme sacrifice for all our sins, past, present, and future. Because of your blood shed for us and your body broken for us, we can be free from the power and the penalty of sin. Jesus, thank you for your victory on the cross. You took the death that we deserved. You took our punishment. Your pain, Lord, was indeed our gain. And today we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood that you spilt. Amen. So church, please take the bread and the wine at your leisure. This morning, this morning we've briefly looked at what is a very challenging aspect of mankind's heart, this selfish ambition that we can struggle with, this pride that we can struggle with. We've looked at how that is counteractive to what Jesus calls us to do, to be servants to each other, to watch out, to place each other higher than ourselves. But we've also seen how Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, not only 
showed us via the act of washing his disciples' feet what it is to be a servant. But he also showed us his ultimate act of servanthood by going to the cross for us. So let's close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for inviting us to your table. Lord, through your death and your resurrection, you reconciled the world to God. And through your example, you have shown us a way. Shown us a way to peace. Help us to remember the gift that we have received and to live as brothers and sisters and members of one family. Lord, give us strength as your people to be channels of peace in the world, speaking your peace, living your peace, and always longing for that moment of eternal peace when we shall see you again when you return to claim your bride. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.